0: Welcome to Sierra Nova Podcast, episode 113. We have Brad Linder from Firestorm, Firestorm Comics. Wow, can I say words?
1: Yep, that's, that's right, man. That's me. You pronounced my name right. I appreciate that.
0: Oh, yeah. I was hoping that I was going to do that.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, just look at it this way. It's classic German. It's like a Linder bagel, except it's an I instead of an E. So, yeah. But uh, I get called Linder a lot. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, that's not. Like, but, but you know, but uh, yeah. Th- thank you guys for having me on, man. I appreciate getting to hang out with you. Um, hopefully, we won't run everybody off. So, <laughs> but, uh, well, real quick,
2: tell tell everybody what you're what you're drawing over here, because Um, be...
1: <laughs> I, I am just messing around with this character right now, making him pretty generic. Um, uh, you guys had mentioned your character um with the graystone type skin uh which is one of the rare characters that i, I was shocked i hadn't seen it but um what i was going to do was i'm going to flesh this guy out a little bit and then i'm going to st- i'll start um adding in some stuff i think i'm just just for time's sake so we don't get distracted i think i'm just going to go the batman route and kick him out that way but um because like i said i don't want to i don't want to mess up your character because i don't know reference of it or anything like that right now um, <laughs> go that route. So we have something to do and I can keep moving and t- and not give everybody just this scribble on my board. But, um, yeah, I hang out, uh, here and, uh, doodle at the board all day and, and make comics and, um, uh, Firestorm is my brand and it is a, uh, it's a small press company. And what I did was I took original creations uh, the long and short of it is I took original creations mixed with Golden Age creations um, that I wanted to adapt into my own style and tell unique versions of them and created my own universe. So um, I had a villain in the very first intro, which Origin is on Amazon. You can get uh, Firestorm Origins. It's a, a small short comic on there for free on Amazon. Uh, Amazon, if you look up my name and you'll see it. And I had, uh, basically a supervillain blow up the universe, uh, and start it by blowing up the earth with nuclear, nuclear weapons and the spirit of fate from the golden age comics, stepping in and saying, Oh, we can't do that and fixing it. And it reset. So they don't know it happened. And we changed a bunch of characters and made our own Firestorm universe. So, um, I'm also on, uh. A new kick which is what i was talking with greg about before and i don't know if you've gotten a chance to see that yet or not the uh dylan but um i'm doing a short run on i say a short run it's yeah it's quite a few issues um for lucky comics and uh for john helmer and we're gonna have uh his beetle girl have quite a big story arc coming up. I've taken over penciling on that one. Uh, matter of fact, penciling, inking, and lettering. And I do gray tones for it as well on that book because it's black and white. And I just really wanted to go uh, experiment with it and uh, have fun with that one because they've got a pretty good history of doing one shots. So they like to do eight page one shots. And each individual story is really, really closed as far as what ends up happening uh, in each issue. So you don't have to worry about the consistency and continuity. It's all the same cast and characters, but you're looking at all of the different changes in between book to book. So, what I like to do is I like to go in and make uh, sequential arcs out of it. And for the first time, they've got continuity. Uh, uh, as an allowance because they've given me free reign with a couple of titles over there. And uh, <clears throat> for some reason, John saw fit to put me in charge of it. I, I don't know exactly why, but uh, I, I think I, I wore him down and conned him into it, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but we'll see. Cause um, he saw some of my work with the original, you know, the, the golden age stuff. And I, I thought it was really cool that he had such a cool concept with Beetle Girl, and which is supposed to be the granddaughter of um, the Golden Age Blue Beetle character, and it, not to be mis- you know not to be misunderstood or mistaken for the character that DC has, which they based that off of um, the same thing, like they did Shazam, you know Captain Marvel, uh, yeah, their own version of it, and, and the funny thing is. Uh, they they have a ton of characters like that. I mean, everybody back then made their own versions of, of characters because they saw <laughs> something that was popular and they jumped on it. And uh, as a side note, I am a, a self-proclaimed comics historian. I do a lot of research and I study this stuff like crazy, especially with working in golden age comics and things like that. Man, it, it's just nuts the stuff that people do out there. Um, some of the stories that go on are just crazy. But anyway, um, I picked up this gig with Lucky Comics because of the fact that I wanted to do something unique and something fun and different to make my way back. Because in 2020, uh, in October of 2020, I had a stroke. Um, uh, wow. <clears throat> yeah, it was due to some stress problems that I was having and, um, it caused my blood sugar to jolt up and I ended up having a, they call it a full stroke. I don't, I don't think it's that bad. I've seen some people have some really, really gnarly stuff happen to them. And my right side went numb. <clears throat> I had a bad headache on the 17th um my family and i were going out to lunch we were in the car and uh i know i've given him like no neck here so anybody that wants to criticize that yeah i did that on purpose <laughs> the, high, the high um Breyfogle type shoulder you know the traps so the classic huge traps where he has no neck uh just going on that angle uh side note but so you
2: prevent or prevent your neck from breaking
1: <laughs> right right it's the keaton style he has no, no ability to turn his head but um As far as that goes, we were riding along, going on after lunch on a weekend, and it was the 17th. I leaned over in the car seat and had a a really sharp pain in my head. I thought I had a migraine. Next thing I know, on the 20th, I'm in the hospital, in ICU. And it turns out that my entire right side went numb, and I had a stroke. Um, It was completely out of the blue uh, as far as that stress goes. But man, I tell you what, it was crazy because I was in the thick of it working 7 days a week, drawing comics every day and knocking stuff out. Um I got to issue I think it was 30 of Catman Evolution, which is the Golden Age Cat uh, the my version of the Golden Age Catman. And uh it's his grandson and uh I was working on that one and i had an roughly 10 titles set up to go to publication and we had to we had to freeze it because i had to take off time and recoup and this is right off the end of my finishing my 377 day sketch card run of doing lives every day across youtube and facebook mm. I, that was crazy man um, I was live every day, and then everybody's like, "Where is he? Where? What are you doing? Where are you at? Why aren't you drawing?" And I'm like, "Well, uh, I'm sorry, but I have to drop all my projects, and I have to uh, take at least a couple of months off and recoup because uh, even now I still get that um, that feeling, you know, when you like hit your funny bone or the tingle. When, yeah, yeah, yeah or when something, when something goes to sleep, like your foot will fall asleep and it wakes up in the needles and you're, you're cringing going, ah, you know, just kill me now because Mm -hmm. it's almost uncontrollable and bearable. Well, I feel like that all the time and it's from the top of my head all the way down to my foot and it's consistent all the time. It's just, um, it's something I'm used to now, unfortunately, but I am recouping, you know? Um, I have movement back. I have fewer spasms and things like that. Uh, but that I tell you, those are fun. When your body revolts on you, it's not fun, man. It, it is a it's a it's a unique experience. But now I'm back a uh, year and a half later. Jump to today, and I'm doing comics again.
2: And I I'm always- also noticing you you're, you're drawing with your
1: left hand. Yeah, luckily I'm left-handed. Yes.
2: Yeah, I was about to say <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was post post uh, you know incident or if that was because uh, you know you've always been left-handed.
1: No, I, I've always been a Southpaw, and lo- that was probably the only thing that saved my career. Because yeah. for the first uh, when I woke up until when I woke up the first morning in ICU after I got admitted, the uh, the doctor came in and he said, "You got to understand." He goes, "We don't know what's going to happen yet." We're going to have to wait and see. And I didn't see him for two, the three days that I was in there. And he comes back up on the three days and tells me, well, you know, you're not going to be able to walk again. You're not going to be able to stand on your own. You're not going to be able to sit up. You're not going to be able to do this, do that. And I basically told him some swear words, which I won't repeat on your audience. <laughs> post this On Facebook and such. And the uh, utility walker next to me and took off walking across the uh, 10 feet across the room from my bed to the door and told him, now what? So, <laughs> That's I awesome. It. Yeah, I, I've never been one, I don't quit and I don't- Gator say, don't play this. <laughs> no, 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 I, I don't quit and I don't say can't. I, I just don't allow my kids to say can't, don't, won't. I, I just don't do it, man. You know, I say it in this case because I'm saying I don't do that, but any other time, and I just drew that in cricket, but any other time, um, I, I don't even balance that out, man. I just say, nope, not going to happen, right?
2: That's, that's like the saying, uh, you know, the yet, like I, I can't yet, you know, just like getting so, the, uh, that resolved.
1: <laughs> I mean, well, you know, just tell an ICU specialist and a neurologist that, you know, bite me. Uh, to put it politely again, <laughs> that, that's the end of it, man. I was like, I have a business to run. I have a family to take care of. I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to put them out in that regard. And everybody told me that, you know, you, you need to make plans for this, that, and the other. And it's just going to be bad. We're not going to have, you know, it's not going to be the same anymore. And we're we're not going to have anything going on and all of this mess. And I was just like, okay, cool you're on the list you're on the list you're on the list i'm not talking to you anymore later (laughs) and that was the extent of it um now like i said i'm doing a i'm doing like the brave type of armor here where the chest connects and it's actual chest plates and then it's shoulders because his was more of a padded up around the shoulders and chest and then he had the rib cage right here where you could see the ribs and the abs and then it was um like the ribs and the abs. It's the fabric down here, but he always used to draw this like torso pad for some reason and go look at some of the other books. It's weird. It's weird when the way he used to do that, but he would sign off like this right here and say, this is like padding, 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 padding. And then it's Batman. <laughs> so I don't know it, who's, who's the uh, illustrator you just mentioned. Uh, uh, Oh, now I can't remember his first name, but, uh, Bray Fogel. Brief, okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but he always used to draw his Batman. He was one of the first artists to draw the black suit Batman too.
2: As opposed to the blue, the blue yeah, gray right, one.
1: Right, right, right. They used to color a lot of his stuff in in purple because he was quote, he was quote unquote the black bat. You know, the black. Had the suit. actual
2: Dark Knight. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Uh, no need any racial profiling on the costume that would be a bummer especially these days don't do that (laughs) but norm is is norm's the first name yeah Norm yeah yeah Yeah, i was was trying to look it up
2: because i (laughs) could yeah yeah
1: yeah. but uh and this is a cartoony sketchy style too though as you can see it's not really comic uh comic bound um but anyway uh Beyond the stroke thing, I did, and I'm going to grab a page here so I can show you, we can move on, but, um, yeah, beyond the stroke thing, they told me I wouldn't walk, They would that I wouldn't walk on my own, move on my own, this, that, and the other, and I'm not going to run any marathons or anything anytime soon, but the thing is, I was never really a runner anyway, so, <laughs> whatever, but, uh, you know, except for pizza, I, I'll, I will run to pizza in a heartbeat, but, but yeah, place like, it at the end
2: of a 26 mile yeah. run.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Make it worth it, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's just one of those things they told me I wasn't going to do anything, and I was just jumping back in, man. It's crazy. But I wanted to do this to show everybody kind of where I'm at now. And you have seen, I know you guys have gotten a glimpse of the uh, the previous Lucky Comic stuff, and they, they do a great job over there. They've got really good comics, right? I mean. Yeah. I yeah, mean, i was just look, checking them out. They do look indie, but they have a... It's got... I, I don't know. It, it's hard to describe because I don't want to insult any of the guys. It's got that, that indie look. I'm not going to say amateur look, but it's got an indie look to it. <clears throat> but then, I have permission to show these, so John's not going to kill me. But um, here are a couple of pages from what I'm bringing to Beetle Girl. This is going to be um uh, black and white it's just simple black and white line work i do the penciling inking um the gray toning here for the scale because this, i like i said i wanted to do black and white but i wanted to make it grayscale how are you doing
2: the uh the gray toning is that in uh, photoshop after or are you doing like no, no, uh, no,
1: no, 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 no. uh manual i use various types of gray toning markers that i have i love these things and uh yeah just
2: yeah, they're really smooth. That's why I was curious. I'm like, that's, that's really good.
1: Um, it takes... Uh, it, it to, to do true gray toning, uh, or as we call it, toning and scaling, that kind of thing, um, <clears throat> to get that quality look, you have to be very careful with it. And I have worked very hard to get my colors to smooth out in comparison to what most people get. Um I mean you can see on this one where i went around the edges you guys can see the streaks. yeah i haven't blended that yet and we wanted to and then i showed john this page and he goes leave it on the border he goes it looks like a fabric on the background
2: i I was about to say it does actually look pretty cool i kind of like that
1: yeah he said it's a wet he's got it says it's kind of got a felt look to it he said leave it alone and he said it makes the page pop he said the interiors are really smooth so don't worry about that i was like well You're the boss. Go for it. But, um, you know, this is another page that I did. uh, Actually, the following page to this one. Uh, There, That is hand stipple, by the way. And if anybody doesn't know what that is, (laughs) this is an 11 by 17. This is the original page right here because I work from home. So I and this being mine, I just used 11 by 17 regular 50 pound Mm -hmm. just offset. I love my 17 paper uh, rather than using cardstock on this one because he decided to use this as my sample from my samples.
0: That's, That's awesome.
1: Now, you got to understand, I I put in, I draw three pages a day and I draw them at this level. Yeah. And because of the way I do them, I do curvy style. Okay. So when I did this sample, I go in, I read the script, I break the script down and it's by lou um this particular script by the way is um by lou uh Mujin, uh which worked for marvel for a couple of backup stories and things like that and he's a he's a really cool guy um but uh very golden age style in writing and dialogue but that which made it a little more contemporary for my stuff uh to push into there but uh what ended up happening was this was the sample that I showed John to get the job. And I did three pages for this and I did this page and there's, uh, we counted, he goes, he goes, how many spots are in the stippling? He said, can you actually tell me there's 5,241 right in here? (laughs) I literally counted, took the time to count them as I was doing them just so that I could do them and tell him exactly that as a joke, just to pull it on. him when he asked me, cause I knew he was going to tease me about it.
2: That's so awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll lift this up where you guys can get a little bit better. Look at it. Oh, we can see
2: we got a full yeah. screen right now. So it's looking. That's, yeah. It looks incredible. Is,
1: I mean that. And then, like I said, this is a third of an 11 by 17 page. Uh, I had other artist friends that I flagged this around and they were telling me, dude, you're nuts. But uh, then I followed up and did the same thing right down here.
2: Yeah, I see that.
1: Yeah, um, it just it's gives cool. it a little organic look, and I love texture work, like the broken glass behind here. Um, this particular character is going through an emotional breakdown, as you can see, crying and all that. Um, I sh- did this this effect here to show the mental break. Yeah, you know, just it's kind of a it's all of an old school texturing. Uh, storytelling type of thing to move the reader through the process
2: yeah that's something that i feel like a lot of uh new independent comic creators miss out on is that background is so powerful like all those uh all those dots that you have like with with the electricity it almost makes it feel like static noise like in the background like that's like that stuff's so important and like the shattered glass like that's that stuff you'd see in like even animes where like they have that moment where like you know, somebody snaps and like the background just fractures and it was like, yeah, that's, it's it's a very powerful tool that, uh, I feel like a a lot of independent creators miss out on now. They kind of, I feel like a lot of them kind of skimp out Mm -hmm. on the background sometimes.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, they, they do. And, and I totally agree. And I think it's a lost art because of the simple fact of, you know, a commercial, uh, like Marvel and Disney, uh, disney, uh, um disney um i say them in unison of course they're the same company but yeah marvel and disney look at it from a different perspective as far as that goes because they're looking at being an ip manufacturer and they got to kick out books every speed yes yeah, so it's all ex- expediency exactly and they've switched over to animation factories down in uh they use a lot of south korean companies they use a lot of brazilian companies and south american companies and all these alternatives. Uh, because of the fact that American artists tend to go for more detail and are slower because we tend to be like, Hey, we want to be the next Jim Lee kind of thing. Even in yeah. <laughs> you know, even in 2023, you know, coming up every, you know, in 2022 right now we're in mid 2022 and everybody for 2023 is talking about, you know, more detail, more detail. And it's like, I never gave up the detail. I never gave up the detail.
2: But yeah, that's something like I, I see. I see that in coincidentally, uh, my brother's gotten this like anime kick recently, and he's been watching some of the old anime. And like you can tell, there's this shift from like the '80s to like the early 2000s, where it went from like I was trying to figure out. I'm like, why does the old stuff feel better, even though it's actually lower quality? Like some of the stuff isn't as crisp, and I'm like, it's the backgrounds. That's what it was like. There's an entire city in the background of the scene, and it's completely unnecessary. It's not even referenced in the scene, but it it builds an environment and a feeling that you have that, yeah, it just doesn't exist anymore.
1: Well, you know, I I get asked to do a lot of – I don't do conventions. I just don't. Um, Nothing against them. I just don't do them because I don't have time. It's either you draw at the table or you draw on the convention table. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? Are you going to make comics or are you going to make sketches for people? Uh, I would rather have them read my books and be more impressed by the time, by the quality of work that I put out in the books in comparison to what's out there next to it on the shelf instead of having to deal with all the drama of going to a con and then paying the overcharged prices for a sketch. You know what I mean? I just don't think students deserve that. But uh, I do a lot of, you know, online course training and things like that and, and video trainings, and this, that, and the other, and then private teaching sometimes, too, uh, with artists. And here's the three things that I teach, and I I don't want to turn the whole podcast into that, but basically, the old rule of thumb is, you control the eyes, you control the hands, you can express anything, right? Then after that that is character posture. So it's gesture drawing, from position. Then it's the emotion on the face. But then, modern comics, 99% of them, if you crack them open, I can go grab anything post-2000, and I guarantee you, I only collect a couple of books, so I don't have many in here. Um, Sorry to the guys in the market, I just don't buy them unless they're retrograded trades. I go backwards now instead of, I buy older stuff instead of the newer stuff anymore, except for a couple of exceptions. But beyond that, background is a character too, and I always tell my my student stat, hands down it's always about making the background a bigger character as anything else the environment is key without knowing where the character is it's not going to bother you know what i mean yeah
2: it's it is really important like even like little things like if a a character's feeling down and they just left a building and they're in an alley next to a dumpster like there's that little detail of like you know putting them in a scenario where they feel like they're in the gutter and they're literally standing in the gutter like that's that stuff's important
1: right right so
0: uh our flagship title the seer chronicles um the artist that we had for the remastered version of the first one right um, he actually added a lot of detail in like certain areas that i didn't even think he was going to do it uh first was just the destruction which was really cool and there's actually like it just it just looks awesome and then Mm -hmm. uh, the background you were saying? Oh yeah can you can you see yeah. the,
2: the can you see
1: our screen? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. character. Yeah. That's our character without like the like, human skin over it. Um, and then I didn't even think about like having anything like this in this panel, but he added a potted. Oh plant. yeah. He just added this like potted plant to like you know give the panel character besides just showing john benson down here
2: i just realized i think i think this is like squished to show on on uh what's it called uh stream yard because i'm like yeah. that, why does it look skewed and i'm like oh yeah <laughs> it's a little squished yeah like that potted plant on the windowsill i remember right. when we first received that i was like that was so perfect because it's like it's like a kind of alive potted pl- like the plant that is not really like doing really good it's just kind of there and right. it's like, got a shadow on it while you see somebody like stalking our main character And it's like, yeah, it's that little detail is so awesome.
1: (laughs) Well, it's a very, that's a very good call too for the artist to make, because it's a very organic prop. Yeah. Organic prop to make it very, to give you that whole, you know, it's building and and see that that's part of the problem too. I hate it when I open a comic and I do check comics all the time. I don't get me wrong. I do look for comics because I'm, I'm always the ultimate optimist and I, I'm in inside my head. I'm inside the comic store just thinking to myself, please let these not suck. So th- that's one of the things that I'm always on the, on the lookout for is a good comic to actually buy because I want to throw my money into the market. You know, I, I love this industry, but I hate it when I open a comic book and I see, oh, well, it's a cityscape. OK, cool. You see this funny stone wall and it's very flat. Very abstract, couple of stippled marks to show it's stone, to instigate it's stone, and then it moves forward, and nothing comes from it. That drives me nuts because there's no paper, there's no citizens walking down, you know, civilians. Yes. Walking down the there's no fire hydrants, there's no drains, there's that, no leaves. There's
2: that's no exactly we we literally <laughs> care so much about that that we when we first started our comic book journey, we we decided to make a three D version of our city so that we would know where in the city people are moving so like for example if somebody gets shot and they have to get to the hospital oh no they're 10 blocks away they might not make it we can actually decide and change the story based on that like it's so we literally um yeah we 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 mapped out our city Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. now it's like making sure like we do have stuff like that like having it's like hey why is there no fire uh, What's it called? A uh, fire extinguisher in the kitchen. We kind of need that. It's a safety right, protocol, right? Right, it, right? It's like those those little details. Um, and now it's gotten to the point where uh, it's, it's a little too slow to put it into our, our th- a complete 3D world. So now what I've been doing is we have our main streets mapped out for the most part in the outsides of the building. But if we ever go on the inside of a building, I found this th- uh, free, uh, almost free. It's like $5 a year. So really expensive 3D modeling program where you can uh, you know, develop floor, uh, floor plans. And then you can actually 3D render them so you can look at them in, in like, you know, different angles. So, I would literally map out like uh, w- one of them is a tattoo parlor that one of our characters goes through. And Do so, you guys
1: ever use Google Sketch?
2: Uh, I did a while ago. I they got I bought by somebody. Like, it's not Google Sketch anymore. But um, I ended up, we, we found this one called, uh, I think it's like Floor Planner or f- no, Floor Plan Creator. Oh, yeah, Floor Plan net. It's $5 a year. And they they've been updating it, which is awesome because I actually saw I actually created stuff manually in there using the shapes. Like I actually figured out how to how to create uh, you know shelving units and things like that, so uh-huh. that I could then copy and paste them right. um, for for a warehouse scene that we had. And then like I think two months later, I went back to go build something, and I'm like, what the hell's that? <laughs> and I saw that they created one that I could just you know I could have just used that, but it didn't exist before. So they're, like, slowly adding stuff to it, which is cool. But, um, yeah, I, I, would, I went into all the little details. I was like, oh, I want the boxes that are in a warehouse. Like, they don't have them in here, so i got to build the slanted uh, support uh, beams that's on the edges of those types of boxes. <laughs> so like, right. yeah, I definitely went hardcore into that. But it, it was it's super mm-hmm. helpful for planning out a scene. Like, one of them, we were trying to figure out where our main character is going to be. How are they going to sneak in? Like, they can't just walk past the guards. Like, there's going to be a bunch of guards oh, I got an idea. There's this sidewalk near the building and there's parking spots there. We can just have them filled with trucks because they're in the middle of something. So now he can sneak by the trucks. So there's a place that he can sneak. And obviously, they're still gonna have a guard at the door, but that's the person he can sneak up on, right? And now I it's only one that. person instead of all the people in the parking lot he has to deal with. And then once right. he gets inside, where is he gonna go? Oh, well, we already have shelves here. Obviously, there'd be a ladder to get to the top of these, so he's gonna sneak up the ladder. And like just <laughs> little details like that. To, we I think we even went so far as to create the piping for the sprinkler system, and that's actually what he ended up using to get down. Like it was um, like yeah. we, we went way. Too, I, I created like two sets of bathrooms. And I was like, how many people would work here? How many bathrooms do they need? Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> and we don't even go in the bathrooms in, in that comic at all. <laughs> Man.
1: Well, yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, it's all about impressionism. You know, it's like, a, it's like people when they want to do, uh, they want to stay G-rated, right, for all ages and all that good stuff. But then when you get into uh, higher-end comics, you know, uh, higher up the tier of, of content maturity you get up there to where adult comics come out and everybody thinks she needs to show, you know, for a lack of a better term, TNA. You know, and it's just, come on. Really? You don't have to go into the full act. Why not just do impressionism and show a silhouette? You know, show them yes, uh, yeah. The romantic interlude, show the kissing, starting it. Maybe you know, maybe the dude taking his shirt off kind of thing. And then end it right there. Go into a silhouette and then the next and then the aftershot you well, know, not, not
2: only that, like by doing stuff like that, you can like something that Greg and I have been trying to work on and get better at is when we're telling our stories, we're trying to get it so that we can say the most amount of things with the least amount of panels.
1: That's and exactly so tr- it. That's exactly yeah. it. I always condense uh, because, I, you know, that, that's something I always tell everybody anyway, and it eats me alive to see it because when you, you can tell a green writer and you guys know you're creating your comic so you know you can always tell a green writer when they come in and it's like one panel and it's got this guy saying this and this girl saying this and this guy doing this and the environment's like this and then they're, then they're Greg's like, like i have no idea what you're talking about
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's how we started you know honestly like it was you just know? like looking at it and going hey i i think that's too much text for one panel maybe we uh Maybe Everybody we just allude to him, this, yeah. yeah. Maybe we just hint at this and move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone makes a
1: mistake of transition from. Uh, well, you know, it's not just dialogue that's the problem. It's adding in too many, too many so, yeah. movements. Then, yeah,
2: th- yeah. Th- this is I literally mentioned these because these were all the big things. So originally, um, Greg wrote out like a thousand-page novel essentially that we're turning into a comic series. But his first attempt at it, he did it through storyboarding, which is for film. And in film, you can have three instances, like three movements in a panel. Right. But like you can't do that in comics. So like I remember looking at it, and I was like, Greg, what are they supposed to draw on this one panel? You have him simultaneously standing up, sitting down, and then falling down. Like How are we supposed to show all three of those? In a single panel while they're having a conversation
1: <laughs> <was> right, like, <laughs> right.
2: so like yeah we had to figure out like okay this one scene does need to broke be broken into three and then there's other ones where you like we we're like describing something and it's like actually we don't need to that kind of makes the story more interesting if it's just alluded to and then we move on and so right, like right. uh there's one scene in our third comic right greg uh the 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 alleyway the run oh yeah. yeah, so th- th- there's a scene in our third issue of our uh, you know, flagship comic, and that one, right. um, you know, there's two people about to get murked, and we were going to show it, because we do show some other, you know, more gruel- gruesome stuff in the comics, but this one scene, I'm like, you know what, like, it's going to make us add an extra page, and honestly, it's kind of cool to just end where, like, you know what happens, like, <laughs> so you know we you know we so we basically have that kind of yeah the silhouette scene where you're like uh-oh and then we move on and so right. yeah i really like uh i i really like when you can do that type of stuff that's why like people are impressed with um what is it, like sin city you know like they use color very simply right just black well, and white and red
1: cuz it's called, it's called a trigger color that technique is actually european and it's called a trigger color we call it spot color here in the US but but overseas they uh, Europeans are huge with that um, the French use it a lot they use black they use black and uh, black and white line art and then they'll use a the rust colored sand colored brown. In a mm. lot of their a lot of their stuff over there, and they use a lot of um, a lot of washed reds and pinks over there as well. That's a lot. A lot of French comics actually use that.
2: So, I like, kind of like the it's basically black and white with rustic coloring. That's yeah. So it
1: looks like an old wanted poster, or yeah, like, like an old silver. You know, like an old silver, uh, silver age films.
2: Yeah, what, what are they – Is it so is silver it, acetate? Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, you want to you, you want it to look like the old silver acetate film. You know what I mean? So um, that that's where that comes from. It's it's a European technique. Uh, that was brought over here in the '70s, and some of the, some comic some indie guys used it. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Crumb used some in his comic books instead of doing them black and white. His first color editions were that French style, and he used a lot of red and a lot of a lot of black and white line work, and he used a lot of blue, a lot of purple, and a lot of uh, sand and a lot of red in some of his first run comics. So that's pretty that's pretty intense stuff man that's a great technique to use
2: yeah that's definitely cool and and honestly you can use that in a standard colored comic as well for like certain mood scenes like you can definitely still take parts of that like uh so one of the um, one of the panel or one of the pages in uh, a comic of ours is like a, we call it the nightmare scene, and it's literally like he's having a right. nightmare. Like that's right. you know prophetic. Like yeah, I <laughs> pulled it. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, he's got it ready. So yeah, he just pulled it up, and this is uh, this is from Ink. This is like one of uh, our fan favorite comics, and yeah, 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 it's yeah, very dark and purple, and like even though there's coloring in it, it's very minimal uh, variation. It's mostly blues and purples and like the soft reds um or you know that peachy red. And so yeah, it's it's a very cool thing. And like it, it's we were talking um last week uh with uh Chow. No, yeah. right? Yeah, no, it's it was two weeks ago. Uh,
1: yeah, that was a two weeks, weeks ago. ago. Two crazy. weeks ago. Yeah, yeah it was, that was like a couple yeah. weeks ago. That was a good interview. Yeah. yeah, and we were
2: talking about the color and how it makes your eyes kind of dance across the uh, the page. In a way, and then you notice the silhouettes that were like, "Oh, I didn't even see that little panel here." Here, and like, you know, th- those little details are, you know, in- incredibly powerful storytelling tools. That if you want to, like, if you want, pe- like, same with like Easter eggs, like, ha- if, if they're done properly and not, you know, like overtly, um, you know, having Easter eggs and things like that are very good storytelling apparatuses for people that become real fans. Like you shouldn't be drawing so that every single person wants to read your comic. You should be drawing so that real fans become true fans of your, of your work. Yeah. Uh,
1: Well, I'll tell you guys, uh, hardcore, hardcore comic fans as creators, don't make the mistake of trying to please everybody and sell a bunch of comic books. The thing is do what entertains you. And the people that that are like minded and find that entertaining, they will jump on it, and that's where you get your fan base. I mean, granted, yeah, I know it's to make a li- yeah, it's to make a living. I get that, but I mean, if you want to go, <clears throat> if you want to go kick out IPs for Marvel and DC where they can where they control everything, and give you a full script, go for it. But if you're creating comic books on your own and you have the option of going freelance or getting into this industry and trying to jump up on what you want to do and make a mark, don't try to make a mark of going in and screwing with something by trying to make a company machine IP sell. What you want to do is you want to jump on and say, okay, here's the deal. I want to go in and I want to make the best Batman I can of the stories that I want to share and show. And if you can get to that point, you're good to go. No matter who the character is, be it Batman, be it anybody else, right? Yeah. Doing your own comics as well, you know what the freedom is. Because most people go, well, you're doing your own comic. Well, why? If you're that good, why don't you work for Marvel and DC? Marvel and DC is a misnomer with the standard. Okay. They're the
2: golden handcuffs. That's why.
1: (laughs) Uh, Exactly, but you know, and I and don't get me wrong, I'm not going to go on the soapbox and go down the rabbit hole. But I'm going to say this. I have a very stern understanding of comics being one thing. Comics are all comics. We are in the industry, whether you see it as small press, mainstream, whatever, it's all comic books. Okay? It's all comics. Excuse my voice there. Mm -hmm. It's all comics, right? Yeah. We are on the same shelves right next to Marvel and DC. Even though even, even if they get halfway across the store with, their, with the people that wants to put on, want to put them on their own shelves, right? It's still, and get me, don't get me wrong, I love Marvel and DC. I'm a huge fan. I always will be. But creatively, I want my comics on the shelves just as much as they do. And when you when you stop and you look at it, I'm gonna create any comic that I touch just as good as if I would be working for Marvel and DC. I guarantee you you're going to get a different attitude about it because you're going to create comics. You want to read not comics. You want to buy. And so,
2: yeah. And honestly, that's the, that's the better alternative. There's, there's an article I'm sure I've referenced it on past podcasts before, but uh, an article by Kevin Kelly, the uh, founder of wired magazine uh, right. called a thousand true fans. And it's right. this idea that if you, you know, you sure, you might be able to sell one comic a few hundred times, but like eventually, You know, if people don't become fans of your work, they're going to stop buying it and they're going to buy the other thing where people care about their fans. And the idea is that if you have a thousand true fans, you know, basically like let's say you have a thousand true fans, you got their email address. They love everything that you do. A true fan will buy anything you ever make ever. They'll buy tickets to you know conferences that you're at. They'll they'll attend you know, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, autograph sessions that you go to, right? So right. A- anything that you're involved in, they want to be involved in, which means that you can you can sell your comics. You could sell single, um, what is it? Single prints, right? You know, you can sell oh, a bunch wow. of things like this. And right. you can merchandise. You know what I mean? Like they will want to support you. So if you really do, like that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to create comic books just to sell them in mass. Like you know, we want right. to sell them in mass, but we want right. to actually create an awesome story that we want to read. Because right. we know that if we truly want to read our own comics, there's got to be at least one other person out there that wants to read them. We're hoping that we can get a thousand, and then right. you know, right. ten thousand. Like that's the idea is move move up the chain, one
1: one reader at a time. Well, think about this. <clears throat> Because I'm I'm massively all about business. I, I mean, it's just one of my favorite studies. I'm all about business as well in comics. And part of the things that I'm doing right now, I've always been an advocate for small press and guys jumping on their own ideas and producing them. And everybody's like, well, I don't have a printer. I don't have an option. I don't have this. I don't have that. And it's like, okay, cool. You need to get off your butt and get your stuff out there in one form or another. I can't print. I can't afford it. So go digital. Well, I don't want to do digital because I don't have an ongoing book. I don't have continuity or regular issues. Okay. Then do a webcomic. Downsize. Do a one shot. Do a graphic novel. Do whatever format. Find out what your media vehicle is. Find out what your action vehicle is as far as producing. Find out what your schedule and productivity is and then kick it out there. Okay. Because I'll tell you one simple thing. You have to get it out there for anybody to see it and know it. Period. Right. Hundred percent. Well, think about this one. Everybody goes. Well, I want to go work for Marvel. Marvel's the dream. Marvel's the standard. DC is the standard. And I'm like, okay, cool. Think about this. <clears throat> what? What is Disney's true business?
2: Uh,
1: what magic. comes <laughs> your mind?
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, entertainment. Yeah, like in general. Like, is that what you mean?
1: Monopoly. I, what, what or, is, or films is it, it? There's, there's no wrong answer. just uh, just tell me what pops into your head the first. Time. I
2: would say films and theme parks.
1: <laughs> okay? okay. Walt Disney, his true business was real estate and family tourism. Mm. Walt Disney and his brother Roy used Mickey Mouse and, uh, and Donald Duck and Oswald, which is the predecessor to, to Mickey which is a public domain rabbit that nobody knows about. <laughs> he looks like a cross between Felix the Cat, Bugs Bunny, and Mickey Mouse. Seriously. I feel like I've seen that before. It's Walt. You can look it up. <clears throat> um, here, here's the thing. <clears throat> when Walt Disney did his business, he wanted to be uh, – Oh, yeah,
2: you, I've seen him. There he is. He, <laughs> wanted to, yeah, exactly.
1: he, he wanted to be a land investor for tourism. And because he wanted to build his kids the ultimate theme park, well, he needed to have. He wanted to be an animator to make money to give them that life and buy real estate, right? Well, he needed characters, so he made his animal cartoons and took public domain stories, i.e., fairy tales.
2: Yeah, the Grimm's Grimm's uh, Grim, yeah.
1: tales. Yeah, like all, yeah, all the classic European fairy tales. The fairy tales from from Europe and from, you know, the the fairy tales that he grew up with, that was the fantasy. You know, the, anything from the Brothers Grimm to Mother Goose to, you know, anything else in that list. The, the Three Musketeers and so on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he made cartoon versions of those as animals and made his movies and made shorts for the intros to film and then used that money to move into movies now think about this whenever you watch a disney movie whenever you watch a disney movie it is not about watching that movie it is not about watching that movie it's about making an experience you pay to see that movie and you instantly become a paid employee paying the company in reverse to be an advertising advocate for disney yeah because you want to tell
2: people about this magical experience this is the chain
1: reaction you see the movie, you see the, you see the advertisement for the movie, right? Mm-hmm. You see it, you pay your ticket, you pay them to watch their advertisement for their theme park, which mm-hmm. is what that, which is what that film is. It's, it's a two hour ride commercial to which, uh, to check that out. Now you're paying them to watch their commercial. What do you do when you come out of the movie? Everybody asks you how it is. So you instantly go, Oh, I'm bonded. I'm in there these characters are great they're phenomenal you give word of mouth advertising all across the board to everybody correct yeah so that's step two then you get into it and what do you do? first thing because you're you're motivated you have given out word of word of word of, word of mouth advertising you've paid to see this thing so you're already invested in it in money in time and in peer pressure of pop culture for, for passing it on. Oh yeah. You it, so you're already fully invested. They got the trifecta. You put cash down on it. You put time down on it and you told your friends. So you're viable for it.
2: Yeah. Even it's like a consistency biasy. it's like where they make the first. Yes. Really easy. You know, it's exactly. like, Oh, it's only a few bucks for a film. And then, yeah.
1: <laughs> and now what are you going to do? Because you're so amped and you got everybody else going about it and you got all excited and you go tell everybody word of mouth, what happens? You tell everybody word of mouth, then they go see it. And then you got a, a cluster. Of a community that you belong to, not only through the experience of the characters with the film that you bond on, but you have the community that you're acting with in unison because you belong to something. Yay. Mm -hmm. You're part of the Mickey Mouse Club, modern day. Now, then on top of that, what do you do? You go triple down. You go spend more time watching more movies. You go spend more money buying more tickets for more movies and merchandise to collect it because you're all excited about it. So then you're a walking billboard
2: <laughs>
1: and you're running around. And then every time somebody asks about it, what happens to you? What happens to you? You become a babbling idiot for the for the Mickey Mouse Club Occult. No offense to yeah. them because it's business.
2: <laughs> but it's, it's true, kind of cool. you're yeah.
1: brainwashed. That's what happens. That's what marketing is. That's what it is. Because every time someone asks you about your t-shirt, it doesn't matter. It's just business. I get it. But it. It doesn't matter if it's Marvel or DC or anybody else. Again, nothing personally against Marvel or DC. I'm well, not saying they're doing. Anything. You know,
2: uh, you know Seth Godin, uh, the marketer. Right. Yeah, like he talked about this. It's, it's not even just marketing either. Like people want to belong to a tribe. Like people want something to belong to. Like I was, oh, yeah, I was Absolutely,
1: an, tribe building. I'm yeah. Was, a marketer. What, That's what I do. So yeah.
2: Yeah, I was like reading an article the other day that was specifically talking about the fact that. Uh, or no, it wasn't an article. It was uh, the book I'm currently reading. It's called The Brand Gap, and it's all right. about this idea that, uh, you know, people try to merge people together, but the harder you do that, the more tribal we become, you know, which, you know, obviously today's society is pretty evident of. And it's interesting that the reason for that I is that I have no we, idea what
1: you're talking about. No problem. No,
2: no. <laughs> but like it, because of that, it's like it's very interesting. Like we want to feel like we're in a close-knit group, which means that you can't be in that big of a group. So that's why if you go watch a film, it's your close friends that all talk. But then each one of your close friends has their close friends. So it really is this tribe, like you're saying, kind of like a cult. But the whole idea is it feels like you're in these small little niche groups because of it. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a, something biologically,
1: okay? It's a biological proven fact. There's been studies on it in Yale, okay? This this cracks me up. You have You have four fingers and two thumbs, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, did, you know, did you know that is, that is the, that is, well, you're supposed to, let's put it that way. I meant eight fingers, eight
2: fingers, two thumbs.
1: Well, four, four fingers on each hand. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a comic artist. I'm not a mathematician. But anyway, you get it. So I told you I'd say something stupid in the beginning. I told you, I warned you. But anyway, anyway, four fingers on each hand, two thumbs, you have 10 digits total, right? Well, the point is that 10 digits. Is exactly what you can have in the mass of your inner circle that you can function with in any social event. Let's say uh, say that again. That is the mass number that you can function with. Ten is the max number that has been proven. The max number that you can function with at any given time in any social environment or event.
2: Because you can point to them all at the same time.
1: You can stay. (laughs) You can be well. You see, you can be around a dinner table. Of family and friends and notice how that whenever you have a dinner, a family dinner, right? And it doesn't matter how long you make that picnic table. If you have room to make it, you're still only going to be talking to the, to the closest 10 people near you that are in eyesight. And beyond Mm -hmm. that, you have to move down to talk to someone else, right? Yeah. You got to move around the room to mingle, right? Mm -hmm. So you've only got so many people that your brain can function talking to at any given time in one group without ignoring someone else's comments or interaction. It's a proven fact. Now, whenever you get into that environment and you get into, like you were talking about Seth stuff, which he's a great guy, but um, you get into Seth stuff or into marketing principles and you get into scalability, you're looking for that 1,000 people, that 1,000 ra- that one thousand raving fans that you have. You can't talk to them unless you're on a stage. There's mm-hmm. no way you can interact with them one-on-one in the same environment in an instant. It's not going to happen. However, you can do, You can present to them from a, ta- a table and an overhead on a stage and talk to them all at once and interact with them as a group. It's possible. Yes, it's feasible. It happens all the time. Speaking events and cons prove that. But to talk to them intelligently and about anything of substance beyond what you're speaking about, think about that, man. You can't do it. You can't do it it's too big so what he's talking about is breaking it down into three phases you have your family which is your intimate inner circle of that 10 people then you have your friends which you can mingle with up to 10 20 people in a room but you have to change tables then you have that massive event where you bulk spend across the board so you have to be a presenter at the bulk stage stage to get out there and present with this when you throw out a comic book on a shelf to get your thousand raving fans you're basically speaking to each one of them individually as a copy of your comic. Yeah. So you Make your story resonate at when you take your, your stage presence of the van base that you're reaching to and reverse engineer it down to where you're talking to them on that comic page. As you do it individually as one of your 10 people, that's how you connect. You make your comic book read for you and the other nine people at the table. And it'll be, it will resonate with hundreds
2: of thousands of people. Yeah. That's like the power of uh, social media as well. It's like, if you do it correctly, like if you're not just posting something, hoping to get as many likes as possible and you're posting something for those specific people that would actually hear your message. That's how you actually get more people to like it. Ironically. Like it's that is the idea of focusing on that one person and really talking to them. So when they read that, they're like, I'm Phil, like that's me. They're talking, to you know, it's like, that's really a powerful thing. Like, yeah, I, I agree.
1: Agree. hundred percent. You know, you, you can walk up. Here's the thing. If you walk up to, and about individual contact, people go, well, you know, people t- say that my comics suck. That people say my artwork sucks. People say my writing sucks. People say this sucks. And I'm like, okay, cool. So change it, you know, get better <laughs> as an artist, change your comic you know write right a different direction or consider the fact that that's not a fan and do your yeah, I'm not
2: the, way. <laughs> i was about to say it's like it like um, Why do you, care? you know uh, gary vaynerchuk is
1: oh yeah I, I yeah agree. one
2: one thing that he talks about a lot is that you have to simultaneously care deeply about what they say and not care at all because they might be giving you valuable feedback. Like maybe your artwork really does suck. Or maybe that person doesn't like that type of artwork. Like uh, the show Rick and Morty, for example, is a great example. Like that artwork is not the same quality as like, you know, the old uh, Justice League cartoon, which is like really crisp and clean. Theirs is very chaotic. Right. Someone might just not like that. Then there's also the tonality of it, like the old yeah, same thing. The old Justice League, very clean cut. There's not a lot of vulgarity in it. And then you go to this show and it's hyper vulgar, Right. So it, it's, you know, certain yeah. people like certain yeah. things like, you know, to each their own. And you got to you got to build for the, if you have a story you want to tell, there's a difference between being bad at storytelling and having a bad story. Right. Like you right. could have a great story and you're just not good at storytelling. That's a skill you can acquire where if, if someone tells you your story sucks and it's written properly, like they might just not like that story. Like there's people who don't like Harry Potter and it is a worldwide sensation. So right. clearly, you know, you know, almost almost objectively, that person might actually be wrong. Right. Like it's, as a, you know as opposed to the subjectivity of something like Rick and Morty, where like that, you know, that's that's a very unique flavor.
1: Well, you know, it's uh, art is, and we're in the entertainment industry, okay? And you have to look at yourself, basically, like uh, you remember the uh, gladiator film with Russell Crowe. Are you not entertained? <laughs> you know exactly. That's that's the statement right there, man. You have to walk up and you have to ask each individual person, "Are you not entertained?" And if they say no, you go. Thank you very much. On to the next, next fan.
2: Thank you next. <laughs>
1: Because that, that is their honest answer and opinion. And if it sucks, that doesn't mean that you should go blow your head off because of the fact that you're upset. <laughs> they disagreed with you. And it's, it's their relative opinion. And art is absolutely relative, no matter whether you think it is or not. It is not going to click with anybody and everybody.
2: I think that's the thing that differentiates art from science is the fact that it is opinionated. Like the fact that it is unique. Like no... Two people can look at a piece of art and get the exact same experience, where with like math and science, you, you right. can. Like that's exactly. the difference.
1: <laughs> and see, you know, there are people that go, Well, your style's too cartoony. And I'm like, Well, you know, thanks. I appreciate it. I like part of that. <laughs> you know, they're like, you need to draw more like David Finch and you know, and this guy and that guy, and you need to get more realistic. And I like comics that are darker and grittier and more photorealistic. And I'm like, well, then go read David. That's you know that's your fan that's your thing man that's your jam right there that go go get his books I I'll, I'll call him for you Hey man you need to send this guy some books <laughs> Yeah he
2: wants to give you his money
1: <laughs> You know I, I mean I'm sure he'll be happy to pay the bills with it You know But then on top of that it's one of those things where Everybody is uh, because of social media everybody's a fan right But Everybody's also a harsh critic and an instant professional expert for some reason. And that eats Mm -hmm. me alive too. And we have a problem with the industry because, you know, again, back to that, what I was saying earlier was about the Disney thing. Marvel and DC are not, they are just another company. They just happen to be bigger and have more money to throw at it.
2: They've also been around for like 50 years.
1: Yeah, they've also been around one of the long, you know, they're old they're one of the older companies they're not old they're the oldest companies around that are still in existence you know what i mean yeah so and uh, that that's it you're looking at it, it's like well they're the best and they're the oldest and they're the longest in this because they built their business Give yourself sixty years and see how you do. It. Yeah, I, that's
2: I was just talking about that to somebody because uh, so I work with a lot of like artists and musicians and that so many times they're like, "Oh man, I've been doing this for three years and I'm not seeing anything." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Like there's been people that did it for a decade before they saw like a single sale and then it exploded. <laughs> like it's it, it it actually again back to Seth Godin. He has a fantastic seventy-two page little tiny book called The Dip. And it's this concept of, like, like, as you get better, you climb the hill, and then there's this moment that everyone must go through if they want massive success, and it's called the dip. And it's this moment in time where you actually feel like you're almost backtracking. And the the problem is that most people look at that backtrack and go, you know what, it's not worth it, and they quit. And the few people who do not quit ironically end up having no competition because they are so much better than everybody else because they went through that tough phase. And now it's actually easy. That's why you get a Walt Disney who it sucks his whole life. And then eventually when he breaks through, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I got all this money. I could buy this. I can buy Marvel. I can, you, know, like you have the Disney right. company buying up every, company or entertainment company known to man because they just outlasted people it's consistency is persistence it's well like-
1: they're an ip machine now as a side oh, yeah. to that but but you know guy kawasaki used to call that he used to call that the resurrection the the resurrection <laughs> analysis because I like that it, it was called the resurrection analysis and the reason he called it that was because of the fact that he said you either are have moved And you're either the phoenix you're going to be resurrected into a new form or you're going to or you're going to be resurrected back to your original reset Based on that analysis because you're going to either say exactly what you just said You're either going to move forward in this new path and have an epiphany and go wow i'm finally good enough Or you're going to move back and go well, I suck at this. I got to do something else Mm -hmm. So You know, which one are you going to do? I hear that from new creators all the time and it's like well, i've been doing this for six months i'm fresh out of art school and blah 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 and i haven't gotten a job yet and i'm like <laughs> wait till you've been doing it wait till you've been doing it since your teens like i have i was self-taught to draw i still draw every day to perfect things i'm not the best artist in the room i know that i'm cool with it i get it but i have a style and that's all that matters and i have a unique voice to my stories that's all that matters and if I don't then that matters too but you know the old adage of putting in 20,000 hours, you know 10,000 hours or to get good yeah, 20, yeah. hours to get great and then- I think it's, I th-
2: yeah it's the 10,000 hour rule to become an expert and like oh, an right. expert is like right. top five top, or top ten or top five percent of a skill depending on the, <laughs> right of the um, difficulty of the skill, but yeah, that's the right. uh, was it Malcolm Gladwell? That's, the, that's right, the was. right,
1: exactly. Malcolm Glad- Gladwell did that, yeah. Well, here's the funny part think about this. Everybody's like, Well, I'll never be like Jim Lee, and I want to be Jim Lee, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, Jim Lee's not Jim Lee. Have you seen his new stuff? <laughs> Jim Lee of, t- of the 90s that was popular is not the same guy, you know, he's changed too. But I said, think about this one. And I was just telling a young artist just yesterday, matter of fact, uh, a young man by the name of Tim. You know who you are, bud. I won't reach out with your last name, of course. But, uh, <laughs> boy, I bet you he's going to hear this and he's going to be like, wait a minute. But, um, yeah, we were discussing it just yesterday. I told him, I said, man, I said, you're two years out of college, dude. I said, "I said what comics have you done yet? And he said, none. And I said, whoa. <laughs> What do you show? <laughs> and I'm gonna switch to ink on this for a while. But um I was like, Well, here's the thing, man. When you get into this, what is your deal? I said, What have you done? What have you shown editors? And he's like, Well, I want to be a comic pro. And I said, Well, and here it comes, the dreaded the dreaded 16-year-old needing a car for a job and a car, a job for a car, right? He looks at me with the straightest, most sincere face. And says, "I don't draw for free. I don't have a portfolio. I don't draw for free." What? What? Um. What? Do you. All this is the thing. You have to go off and create. You have to go off and create a work example at least in a portfolio set so that you can show that you can do the job i'm sorry but you don't walk in without a resume at mcdonald's and go okay i'm the new guy i can flip burgers but i'm going to hire on as a manager <laughs> you know i flip burgers at home on my on my grill and i got this down but i want the manager job okay <laughs> let's look at that one and see how long that lasts then let's go into, into the comic scenario here same thing you're wanting to do a comic but yet you haven't ever drawn one so yeah what and then all yeah, these guys want to run around and say well when we put money into it i don't draw for free i want to be paid well nobody knows that you can draw because you haven't done a, a comic to prove that that you're good enough to do comics for them
2: that, that's something we, we see a lot in the indie community we, we had um uh, Who was his name? Austin. Who was the guy that mentioned this? It was on our virtual Austin, right? Um, yeah. He's like a, he's like an actor and does a couple other things, but uh, he's uh, basically, he was talking about like how people are charging for, you know, way too much to draw for comics. And they're like, you know, what the hell did you work for Marvel or something? And it's like, no, but if people have told me I'm really good. It's like, well, you know, what's awesome. Like I can get this great piece of art from you but your name doesn't even carry weight, which means I still have to market and sell this. And I still have to pay you this amount. Like that's insane. Like you think you're that good. But, like, I could just pay someone with clout a little bit more, and now I don't need you at all because the marketing I'm going to get from this other guy is going to be worthwhile. Right,
1: because yeah. the brand he brings behind it, exactly. And, and it's
2: like if you never draw on your own, you're never going to even get that branding. So that means even if you keep charging this premium, eventually you won't have clients. What happens right now? We're in the middle of, like, a recession. People are paying double what they were for chicken two weeks ago, right? Why am I going to pay you to draw right. comic books, right? Like, that's insane. So, like… You know, if your name carried weight and I could sell those mm-hmm. comics after, absolutely. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a huge deal when, you know, in, independent creators of any type, art like artists for comics, um, artists for uh, music, and, you know, singers and songwriters, things like that. It's like, you know, you, you have to, like, I, I, I learned programming. Like, for some people, that's, you know, super I difficult. Not, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I,
1: multiple languages. Yeah.
2: yeah yep. Yeah. And, I, and I ended up building probably a half dozen websites, maybe a dozen websites completely free. Right. I've I've done complete rebranding of companies for free. I've done social media marketing for free. Like I did tons of stuff for free before I even asked for money, let alone a ton of money. And I still asked for minimal amount. I then I, I raised the rate slowly because now people can see more work
1: that I've done. And well, it, see, yeah, that's exactly it. And that that's that's exactly it. You have to slide the scale, but you have to get on the scale to get noticed. <laughs> You know, you have, to get through, yeah. you have to get on, And I love saying that you have to get on the scale to weigh in. That's what it is. And it's true. It's funny, but it's true. And I see it all the time because it's like, well, how much do you charge? Well, I charge $350 a page. Really? Okay. Well, what comics <laughs> have you work for? What's your history look like? Well, I'm still looking to get my first comic. What?
2: Yeah. that's Yeah. You're insane. If you're, you know, um, yeah.
1: I, I get now my rate. I work on a sliding scale depending on the project. I work on what the project allows. Okay. Plain and simple. I'm okay with that. I make money. I'm all right. I, I do that. I, I do that because I want to work on projects that I want to work on. But I do it philosophically too, though. I look at it and go, okay, this guy can afford this. This brand, this company can afford this, this this person can afford this.
2: And, oh, and there's tons what? of other features too. There's, there's like the, how fast do they want it done, right? What's what's the difficulty in what they want drawn, right? Like, you know, that type of stuff. Like if you're if you're an expert at background design and that's something really important to them, well, guess what? Now you can charge more for that particular person because you know that your value to them is much greater than another artist who's really good at, you know, facial expressions if that's not the thing they're looking for for this particular comic. Right. Like,
1: well, well, you got to match up the project too. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I see it all the time where these guys go, well, I will, not you know, I pay, through, like I said, $350 a page, but they don't have a comment to show or speak of. And it's like, really? How do I know what you can do? Yeah, well, it's like,
2: uh, why don't you start at like less well, than half of it?
1: Well, he says, uh, you know, the, the guy that I'm mentioning here, uh, he said, well, pay me 350 You know, I, my rate, this example, not Tim, but another example. Uh, this artist in particular came out and said I, I charge three hundred fifty dollars page. I said okay, cool. I said, well, show me some samples and we'll go from there. And he said, well, I charge one hundred fifty dollars per page for samples.
2: He, that's yeah, That's ludicrous. Like if you're I a like, beginner, okay. if you're a beginner comic book artist i'll i'll let you know right now you're not going to get that for the fit finalized pay rate like the, the 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 sample one like that's that's insane to think that you could charge that with zero you know proof of your work with no weight behind your name no connections no guarantee that you're going to try to also help push my comic like that's another big one like there's plenty of people that don't take that paycheck to you know create your comic and then that's it. They don't even care about the project. They just wanted the money, and so they're not going to even push it after. So you paid all that money for somebody, and like you're saying, you're pumping out three pages a day. I'm doing me wrong. That's also because of incredible time spent doing that. But if someone who's not even uh, you know a you know a veteran of the art, right? They haven't been doing it long enough, and they're charging <laughs> something three fifty a page. Like that's more than a lot of people make at anything, let alone at something right. that you can do from home. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to go anywhere to do this. Like that's you know, right. Be be blessed that you're able to make that income, like any income from that art. Well, let see, alone- I
1: make the yeah. Sorry, I didn't cut you off there. Yeah, oh, exactly. Good. Um, th- that's a that's the thing. I I work fast, and that's the reason. To, that's part of the reason I make the money I do. It's because I I work fast, and I'm not going to go into what I make. That's that's client privilege to me. Yeah, not <laughs> yeah, that's to, so you know, Not to mention the fact that I don't want to brag. But because uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just it's an asinine thing to do. But then you have, you know, I, I go in for speed. OK, I go in for speed and detail and that's what I'm known for. And I pin I, as you saw with my Lone Rider book. I do every aspect of it, so I can jump on and do whatever they need me to do. Which
2: is which is super rare too. Like that's the whole point. Like if you're an artist and you only learn pencils and you want to charge something crazy like three fifty a page, you better you better be able to have a connection to the, you know, the president or something to be able to get this yeah, thing. pushed. You better like,
1: resurrect like... Leonardo da Vinci or some crap. Cause I mean, the quality better be with the clout level.
2: too. Not just the artistry level with the clout. <laughs> You're going to yeah, need. Yeah,
1: yeah. You better have a fan base and a legacy and you know, like millions of followers and yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause it's just stupid crazy and people go, well, you know, I did this book. I did this webcomic on Webtoons and it's like, okay, well, what did you do? Well, I did this panel. What? (laughs) What? You know, and this thing's got like 3,000 pages on it. And it's like, he did a panel on like page 23 back in 2003. And I'm
2: like, oh my God. Yeah. I, I, I had, I had one incident where like some, somebody, um, I was looking to bring on different creators for my marketing company and somebody reached out to me being like, Oh, I'm a graphic designer. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Like, do you have like a portfolio? And they're like, Oh no. And I'm like, well, like, yeah, like which version of Photoshop do you have? Cause like, you know, depending on how, cause they went to school a while ago and they're like, Oh, I don't have it on my computer. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, how, like what am I supposed to buy the software for you so that you can do work for me? Like that doesn't make any sense. You haven't, you, haven't, you, you graduated like five years ago. You have, no portfolio to show for it over the last five years, you didn't dabble in it. Like you didn't do anything. Like, and I feel like that's kind of the case with a lot of people in comics is like, you just said, like, they did a panel this one time in 2003 because somebody yeah. did a little yeah. extra work done and they couldn't find anyone else. And they accidentally found you. Like, <laughs> like that's you kind know,
1: of- <laughs> And I do free work. And the funny thing is everybody's like, I don't work for free. Like I was talking about, about that other guy, you know, I'm like, really? Yeah, I do free work. I did free work yesterday. I'm doing free work when we're talking. I've got free work sitting on my table. I do free work for friends all the time. And and why is that? Because while I'm in, because while I'm doing something that I want to do paid wise, I'm still making an extra credit here and there with a project to help a friend out get their book out, you know, or to get the project done because I want to do it and get a chance to work with a friend if I've got the time to do so. But I'm fast enough. I can do that too, though. But, you know, anybody that says they won't work for free, I'm like, I'm like, there is no working for free, okay? There is no working for free, and that's total crap. Anybody that says they won't work for free is, they're lying to themselves, or, or they're just
2: not going to make it. There's <laughs> a there's a author of a book called the 10x Rule. His name is Grant Cardone. I don't know if you've heard yeah, his I've name. I've known Grant
1: for years. Yep. So yeah, cool so he,
2: yeah, so one of the, one of the big things he talks about is how I, I think it was in that book, the 10x rule, how he did a calculation, I think at the age of 40 after he became a multimillionaire and he right. added up all of his hours to figure out how much he worked and how much he currently um, has acquired and how much he's earned over those years yeah. and he figured out that he was he had an hourly rate of $5 an hour. Like right. people don't realize like that that whole thing with like the dip with Seth Godin like in the beginning you might do like hundreds of things for free just to get your name out there right so that later you can charge a thousand dollars a page because people absolutely need your artwork right like that you know if you really want to be this you know like yeah like a jim lee you know if you want to be someone who's got so much clout that everyone in the industry knows their name you need to be everywhere and if you're not constantly creating work and getting better along the way no one will ever hear your name so if you don't do free work no one will ever find you because you're not, you're only going to have a certain amount of free work that's ever going to come your way, especially if you're, if you're not pushing your name.
1: Well, see that, that's the thing. Everybody made, that's exactly it. Everybody makes this mistake and says free work. Okay. Everything I do is going to make me money. <laughs> Everything Portfolio I lay building. On. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Everything I do makes me money. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, like we're, we're doing this podcast, hanging out you know, neither one of us are paying either side for this thing. It's for great content, right? That's Absolutely. it. At least, at least for people to laugh at me. So, <laughs> but you know, that, that's the point. We do this stuff because of the fact that we're making money with it. Cause it's exposure. It's cre- It's credibility. So you're investing in that. It's an investment that we need and people just don't get it, man. I mean, hardcore. We just don't get it. Uh, You know, I I say flat out, if you're not producing, you're only as good as an artist at the day that you're an artist. And I I say that loosely because of the simple fact that this, if I didn't draw something today, which I've been up since 3.30 a.m. this morning, working on pages today. And I'll do this and and here's the rule of thumb with this. All right. If you don't draw today, if you say you're an artist and you and you draw stuff and I'm like, well, cool. What have you done today? Well, I haven't drawn today. I've been doing this, I'm at this party, or I'm doing this, I'm at this luncheon, or I'm at this convention. And I'm like, okay, so you were an an artist yesterday. Because you're only an artist and you can call yourself presently an artist at the time that you're drawing stuff. If you've drawn in the last 24 hours, then you're an artist today. Yes, you're an active artist today. But if you haven't drawn anything for two weeks, or haven't created a portfolio or haven't drawn anything for free because you're drawing to draw, then you're not an artist.
2: Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I I was actually just like doing some quick math to think I was just curious. Like even if you had an eight hour a day drawing, like if you if you got paid for eight hours a day and you drew for eight hours a day every day, no no breaks, no Sundays off, no weekends off, it would still take three and a half years to get to your ten thousand hours. Like, like I was just, I was just curious about that. Like, if you drew every day, eight hours a day, right? That would be twelve hundred and fifty days until you hit your ten thousand hour mark, which would be three and a half years. And people are like, two years, like, oh, I took this online drawing course this one time, or like, I went to school for it. Like, you didn't even do eight hours a day when in school for four years. You know what I mean? Like, of drawing, nothing but drawing. You did
1: projects, yeah, you did projects in class. That's that's sweet, that's cute. But what have you produced?
2: Yeah, like even, even if you drew five hours a week, right? Like five times is that 52? That's only 260 hours in a year. That's not, right. it's not even a thousand yet. Right. Right. Like you're, like you're nowhere close. And that's much closer to what someone's probably doing is like five hours a week in, in art school of actual
1: right. drawing. Right. Right. You think about this people go to law school and medical school for eight to 15 years. <laughs> that's a degree.
2: And then they still have to do the uh, what's it called the underlay Certification
1: stuff. and in, internship and certification.
2: Yeah, it's like ten years before they get to that that moment where they can actually cash that big paycheck. That's can why that's imagine? why young doctors are still in debt.
1: <laughs> yeah, can you well, but can you imagine some knucklehead going into a surgery, and I'm talking a live a live surgical theater, and doing like heart surgery on you? Can you imagine being the guy? I, getting that guy to fix your whatever and he's got well i got to don't worry about it i got a two-year certificate i took mean, i took, I took to, a nine-week boot camp you have to earn the props you know and this is the this is the way that i do it and like i said everybody has to find their own groove is the point of this right here but think about this earn your right cut your chops earn your right you're right. You want to say you're a comic artist? Produce comic art. I'm just checking to make sure I didn't bleed through on my table. I, <laughs> yeah. I did that with Sharpie. I was like, ah, oh, I don't have an undersheet. Ah! But anyway, <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, I do uh, find your own path, of course. But I do it like this. I work every single day. I'm grabbing a brush print, sorry. I work every single day and I don't live by free time. When I schedule things on my calendar, the typical person goes through and goes, okay, we got the work calendar, so we have to put this project, this project, this project, right? For next Tuesday at 10 p.m., there's a deadline, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the way they put their calendar. I don't do that. And then they schedule their time off, and that's when they schedule their vacation. And that's when they schedule doctor's appointments or kids' appointments or this, that, and the other, right? I don't do that. I switch gears and go the exact opposite. I have no such thing as free time. None. I schedule date night with my wife. I schedule all of my children's events. I schedule all of my family events, all of my doctor visits, all of my appointments, all of my stuff, all of my meetings. And then everything that I have a free moment for, I'm hammering at this table. Everything. I carry pages with me religiously. So... Decide what your point is and how many times you want to say, Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to do that project because I don't have time. <laughs> okay, cool. You don't have time. Well, what do you have time to do? Well, I checked out the what did you do yesterday? I checked out this new video game.
2: Netflix had a new series.
1: <laughs> but you but you're griping, you know. I mean, I sat down to do this stuff every single day that I moved. And that's what I do. I've been drawing for as long as I can remember. My first professional hit was for uh, an indie company that's no longer in existence, and yeah, so I won't mention it. But but mainly because I don't want people to look up the work. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. sadly enough, but but um, uh, I was thirteen when I got my first hit and you know you know how and the people are like well you're a child prodigy and i'm like no i'm a lucky doofus (laughs) you don't realize how lucky i was but i said i wanted to be i told my mom i said i wanted to be a comic artist when i was five she said what do you want to do when you grow up and i'll never forget it i I was five it was my fifth birthday and i said my birthday wishes that i want to be a comic artist and i knew then i had the bug since i was like three and that's it, man. You put If you really want to do it, you've got to put in the hours.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say like, that, that's something really important for people to realize. like you know, for example, I, I went to school for engineering, right? Like that's not even close to what I do now. Like now I'm involved right. in marketing and comic books and music. Like, it, it's a completely different realm. And it, I will say that the, the luckiest thing you had was somehow knowing what you wanted so young. And then you still put the 10,000 hours in, right? Like, so anyone who decided like, you know, they're, they're 22 and they're like, I'm going to be a comic book artist now. Right. Or even 18 before they go to college, like I'm going to go to college for art and then I'll be a comic book artist. Like you, you have to realize that other people started when they were 5 10 15 years old they've just got a head start mm, right? right all the that's stuff right. that you got to do right like you know some somebody else maybe they went on vacation instead of doing it like uh, that's a big gary Vee thing like he's like i didn't take a vacation from ages 20 to 30. right did you travel wow. recently look at that you already missed out on a chance to get better at a skill don't 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 even regret it. Enjoy the fact that you had a chance to enjoy something. Right. And now you just have to realize. Well, now you got catch up time for all of these uh, skills that you want to learn. Right? right. Like I wish I learned multiple languages as a kid. There's kids that can speak three languages and they're eight years old. And you're like, what
1: the heck? Well, cool. Like you can either be sad and whine about it or go learn a new language. Right, exactly. And, you know, you see that all the time. It's like, well, you were lucky. Well, you were fortunate. You, you were blessed. Well, you're smarter than I am. you faster than I am. No, I, my circumstances are different from yours, yes. But that does not mean that you can't be where you're at and do it, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Jim Lee, he was a child prodigy from South Korea. His parents saw what he wanted to do. But I'll tell you this. He had a tutor that would teach him how to draw because that's what he wanted to do. As part of his culture, he learned art and Mm -hmm. it's all cool. Right. But did you see his first Punisher work? Did you see his first Wolverine work? Did you see his first X-Men work? It was gritty as all get out. It was super gritty stuff. I mean, it was rough. Look at his first Punisher posters and pinups and covers you didn't even you couldn't you put that in comparison to his 1991 stuff when he hit it then light, light it up cuz it's night and day light yeah it it's it's almost sad because it's a, it was a graffiti scribbly style in comparison to what we know from the slick polished jim lee correct anatomy golden boy can draw anything stuff and that comes with experience you know Oh, yeah. So it is what it is, man. Yeah,
2: and, and, like, the thing I always like to think about is that, that Gary Vee reference of not having, like, his twenties, 20 to 30-year-old. He didn't do anything. He didn't travel. He didn't have fun. Like, uh, like yes, Jim Lee might have had a tutor, but there's something else he didn't get during that same time frame that you did get, whoever you are, that's thinking that, you know, that he's, you know, lucky. It's like there's other stuff he had to give up to do that. Right. Like, right. you know, you got to, maybe maybe you were a triathlete in high school. You got to enjoy a bunch of sports and have a lot of friends. And maybe Jim Lee just drew. Maybe he didn't have a bunch of friends as a kid. Right. Well, I don't know.
1: His parents were on his his parents were on his back to be a doctor.
2: <laughs> yeah. like you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe he just had a yeah, crappy childhood from having parents that didn't he didn't feel like he received love from you know, and yeah, sure he's famous as an artist and maybe he's sad inside, right? Like that's the big thing. Like well you he don't...
1: took a year and said he was gonna do it every day. And he took that summer, what happened was is he was studying and doing his basic college courses. According to what he says, he was doing his basic college courses. And then he went off and I mean he's been interviewed. You can look it up online. He's been interviewed numerous times about it. And he said, Well I decided to take a year and give this a full shot. And he said, I sent him pages, sample work and built it up. And then I got to show my stuff and then I got a job and that's where it went. I mean, you have to look at where you are today, right now in this moment and make the effort and say, okay, I'm going to clock my 10,000 hours. And what you do is, is you start building up. If you're a writer, are you right? You're just as good as the artist comment that we made earlier. Are you a writer? Yes, cool. Well, what did you write today? Show me something. Well, I didn't I didn't put anything in today. Well, then you are a writer when? And I always put a past tense. And I know that ticks people off because it eats them alive when I do that. It's like, well, I'm a writer now. No, 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 no. And I'm like, really? How many hours have you put in? What books have you published? What have you written? Where's your stuff? Where, where are you at? What is it going on? Blah, 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 blah. And they just, it eats them alive.
2: Yeah. And honestly, that, that 10,000 hour thing, like people really should like, I'm just playing around with my calculator now. Like if you wanted to get that good in five years, right. Which some people are like, that's still way too much time. You would still need to draw five and a half hours every single day for five years. Like there's people that'll go three days without drawing. You've now got to add 15 hours to one of your days. And eventually if you do that for a month, you cannot possibly do it in five years. You've already maxed out your limit if you want to sleep, right? Like it's one of those things Like you have to be hyper consistent about it. You got like Greg writes all the time, right? Like that's something like, you know, he's he's bored at work and he'll start writing. And like, so like it's, you have to be constantly doing it knowing that, uh, and and this was something that I heard um, probably like six, seven podcasts ago. We were talking about the fact that Like, if you're an independent comic creator, people might not even take you seriously until your fifth comic is released, mostly because they they need to see that, you know, they're not going to read issues one, two, and three, and then lose your story because you gave up. Like, why would I invest all that time reading these three comics, and then you disappear forever?
1: Which is why I was livid when I did, that was why I was so livid when I started doing comics, because... When I published Lone Rider and Catman Evolution and these other titles that I had going on, everybody said, yay, we're all in. They all took money. They all took service. They all took uh, all the hype. And then they flaked out on me. And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me.